Well, I'm excited to introduce our guest speaker. Uh, his name is Clem Ferris. He comes to us from North Carolina. He did a wonderful, wonderful prophetic conference with us the last couple days, teaching us about stewarding the prophetic word. As you know, we have a, a prophetic heritage here at Five Stones Church. Uh, many of us have been blessed by just the ministry of prophecy over our lives. And Clem and I go back almost 30 years. Uh, we're, you know, we've seen Ben and Greg in our midst over the years, and, and Clem is part of this band of brothers that's roaming the earth <laughs> and uh, going to different churches, teaching on the ministry of prophecy. Clem has been uh, in 40 countries, oversees many churches. He and I are working uh, more closely together on church planting, talk a little bit more about the church planning vision that's, that's coming forth from Five Stones next week. But uh, we are so glad to have uh, Clem and share the pulpit this morning. So let's give him a welcome. All right. Thank you, Rich. Hey, Five Stones, good to be with you. And uh, it's been a long time. I was here when I was just a kid. Uh, 15, 16 years ago, we were trying to rehearse some history together. And uh, Man, it's great to see all that you've done, this fantastic building and reaching an incredible city for Jesus and the nations. So it's uh, really good to be back with uh, Rich and Mimi. Um, I've seen Rich quite a lot over the, even the, during the pandemic, but I hadn't seen Mimi and you haven't changed at all. He's getting older, but, um, and even got to see Heidi. And so, yeah, it's, it's just great to be with you. And we had a great time. Thank you for those that came. Um, it's just, uh, wow, these are unprecedented days. I just... On Easter Sunday, I'll be at one of the initiatives that Rich and I are working on together with the, the 611 church planting. And so these are exciting days, and I'm just so thrilled to be working more closely with Rich in these days. And yeah, that old band of brothers guys, I've known Greg Miller for a long time and, and Ben. And um, so it's just great to, we're still here. We're old, but we're still here. <laughs> we're getting there. So you ready to get into the word this morning? All right, we're going to start by going to an Old Testament prophet for just a minute. Uh, we're going to talk about getting a vision of what God is doing in this time, and I label the message after these things, and you'll see where I get that from. But first, we're going to get a picture of God this morning in our hearts, of who He is for us in this strange hour of the church. And we get that from the prophet Micah. So I'll have it on the slide, or you can go to your favorite device. Micah chapter 2, verse 13. Micah's going to give us a picture of God this morning that I think we need to grasp hold of and see Him. And it's Micah chapter 2, verse 13. Micah's a, a short prophet. I don't believe in minor prophets. There's short prophets and long prophets, but no minor prophets. Uh, if you made it in the Bible, you're a major prophet. You're a major player. So he's a short prophet, though. Micah chapter 2, verse 13. Let's see how Micah describes God, and I think it's apropos for us. He says, the breaker goes out before them, and they break through or they break out. They pass through the gate and go out by it. So their king goes on before them, the Lord at their head. Get this picture from Micah this morning of the breaker. The breaker goes out before them. He's describing our God this morning as the breaker. And we have a three-year-old grandson and sometimes we call him the breaker. If he gets within five feet of anything, he's, the potential to break it is always there. So I'm not talking about breaking something, you know, uh, uh, like destruction. I'm talking about this concept where he says the breaker goes before them and then they, that's us, we break through. We have a breaker in our midst. He's our king. And I want you to see where Micah positions him. He positions him out in front of us. Not behind us, not beside us, not someplace we can't find him. Our breaker, our God... The Lord Jesus Christ is right out there in front of us, and that's how we see and experience breakthroughs in our lives. We all need breakthroughs. And sometimes at the beginning of a calendar year, prophetic people particularly feel the pressure <laughs> to come up with a slogan for the year. I don't know, I'm sure you don't do that in Canada, but in America, the American people, believers are kind of crazy. They need, they need this, this slogan for the year, and so the year gets labeled in the first week of January. And very often, the go-to one is, is the year of breakthrough. And everybody goes, yes, the year of breakthrough. And then by March, everybody goes, what was that year again called? <laughs> I'm not seeing anything. We forget. And then by, certainly by the summer, we've totally forgotten what we labeled the year. Nobody goes back and checks and see if there was any such thing. So 
this is not one of those vague, like, yeah, it's the year of breakthrough. We're talking about seeing God today in your life as the breaker to break through obstacles and to break through things, because that's what a breakthrough really means. A breakthrough is an act of overcoming or penetrating some kind of an obstacle. How many have an obstacle or two in your life? Yeah? How many never raise your hand in church? Okay. That's your biggest obstacle right there. So we all have obstacles, right? You might be sitting next to one this morning. I don't know. We all have an obstacle, and we all, we all need a breakthrough of some kind spiritually. I'm talking about spiritual breakthroughs. And so... I want you to go to uh, our text this morning. This is a short text, six verses out of Genesis 15. Genesis 15, one through six is our text because we're going to look at how God comes to us as the breaker in the life of Abram. He's not Abraham yet. He's still Abram. This guy, Abram, he's just a guy. He's not a Christian. So everybody go, I never thought about it that way, but Abram's not a Christian. He's never been to church. He's not a believer yet. He's dealing with a lot of things. God's dealing with him. He's got a lot of obstacles in his life. And we're going to see how God comes to this guy, Abram, one guy on planet Earth, to show up as his breaker so that Abram can have a spiritual breakthrough that actually you and I are living in today. His breakthrough was our breakthrough. So Genesis chapter 15, I'm just going to read the text, then we're going to go back and kind of work through it a little bit. After these things, aha, that's where you got that. Yes, that's exactly where I got it. And don't forget those three words. Don't forget those three words. That's kind of a transition moment. This is a transition phrase right here. That's a key reference point. So after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what do you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus, I guess. Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward heaven, number the stars, if you're able. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Wow. This was a God moment. This is an amazing moment in the life of someone that affects all of our lives. Let's go back to this. It was after these things. Well, what things are you talking about? Well, what things was Scripture talking about? We'll get to that in just a minute, but don't forget that phrase. It was after these things... That the word of the Lord came to Abram. The word of the Lord. We talked about prophecy this weekend, and Rich reminded me of one of our mentors, Dr. David Blomgren, who was my pastor for seven years, about this word, word. (laughs) The word of the Lord is the Hebrew word, dabar. A very strong, forceful word from the Hebrew language. It's translated over 5,000 times in the Old Testament as the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came. And this word means to push from behind. It means to, it, you know, there's a divine energy when God speaks. By the way, I'm an American, and you're allowed to talk in my services. That's okay. You can say yes and amen and nod your head, or just kind of just whatever. But, you know, I, I don't care. I, I like reactions. So anyway, there's a power released when God talks. It's not just a word that floats. And so there's, a, there's an energy. When God talks, he talks in divine energy. He doesn't talk in English or French or Chinese or Greek or Hebrew. When God talks, divine energy comes out of his mouth. And so when it says the word of the Lord came, this debar word came and it pushes from behind. It pushes us. Sometimes you get a word from God and you feel this inertia. You feel this movement because it's spiritual movement. That's what was going on. God says, I'm going to move something here after these things. I'm going to, I'm going to take charge here. I'm going to come and I'm going to break through what Abram's going through because he'd been through some things. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision And here's what he said. First, he said, fear not, Abram. Now, I wonder why he said, fear not, Abram. I just wonder. Shall we just take a wild guess? Maybe he was in fear. You think? You think? (laughs) When God says, fear not, why? You're in fear. Sometimes we don't even know we're in fear. And God has to break in and just go, by the way, what? You're in fear. I am? Yes. (laughs) Takes a revelation to realize, you know, nobody knows you better than God. You don't even know yourself. 
like God knows you. He said, Abram, what? Fear not. I am your shield. I am your shield. Now, why, why do you use the shield as a picture of how he wanted to present himself to this guy, Abram? I am your shield. Well, you being Bible people know that shields are used throughout Scripture, but the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Actually, the Bible hadn't been written yet, but it was all in the heart of God. And Ephesians hadn't been written down on paper yet, but Ephesians was already in God because it was the eternal word of God. So God just pulls out a metaphor out of his eternal understanding and his eternal word and says, I'm your shield. And we know later from Ephesians that Paul describes the shield as a shield of faith. You are Bible people. I like that. The shield of faith. So God shows up. He breaks through right away and says, stop fearing. I am your faith. I'll be your faith. Do you know that faith and fear have the same definition? They're polar opposites, but you define them the same way because fear is believing in what you can't see. What's out there? I don't know. I can't see it, but I'm, I'm afraid. Faith is believing in what you can't see. How do you know? I, by faith. You know, we have eyes that give us faith. We have sight, spiritual eyes. Where Paul prayed for Christians in Ephesians that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we might know the hope of God. It's like, whoa, we see with the eyes of faith. So God's breaking in on this fear, which is gripping him, which is actually shutting off the plan of God. <laughs> that God already prophesied to Abram, you're going to have a lot of kids. <laughs> Your seed will be like the dust of the ground. And then all these things start happening. And God goes, huh, I need to go down and break through this situation. He comes with the word. When God breaks into your life and your situation, it always comes with a word. He comes and says, fear not, I'm your faith. I'll be your faith. You don't have it because you're in fear. And he says, your reward still will be very great. And Abram being who he was at the moment, he's still not the father of faith. He's still not Abraham. He's just this guy, Abram. You'd think you'd go, wow, thanks, Lord. I, I needed that. Wow, thanks for the breakthrough. Woohoo, I feel better now. You're my faith. I can still have this prophecy come to pass in my life. I'm better now. Thank you. You can go now. But instead, he does what a lot of humans do. Now, God, I have a few questions. I have a few questions. First of all, where's this heir that you said I was going to have? Where's this son that you promised my wife and I? You've given me no children. We remain childless. And now he starts complaining like we do. <laughs> you're going to get this, you're going to have this, thus saith the Lord, great God, but I have a couple of questions. <laughs> I have some issues going on in my life. And Abraham starts just kind of complaining to God. He goes, you've given me no offspring. I guess I'll just pick my own heir, this member of my own household, um, the Eliezer of Damascus. I'm going to pick him. He'll be my own heir because God, so far it's not working. You know what I call that? We call that plan B. We are so good at coming up with plan B when God only does plan A. Can I just tell you that? God only does plan A. There is no plan B in the mind of God. That's why he kind of went back to plan A for Abram. He goes, by the way, you're in fear. I'm your faith. We're still going to do plan A. And he goes, yeah, but <laughs> it's not working out the way I thought. So I thought I'd come up with my own plan. God goes, no, you won't. God just responds. He goes, no, <laughs> your very own son will still be your heir. Not changing for you. So he's still got a problem. There's still some problems going on here. Um, and only God can fix our problems when we're incapable. <laughs> Isn't that good news? So <clears throat> God just looks at Abraham and goes, well, here's what we're going to do. And then God does what only God can do. God begins to shift things in his life. And God does one of these numbers. I don't know if you ever had a, a, a parent or maybe a teacher or a principal or a coach, somebody in authority go, come with me. It does, you know, the old, like, come with me. And he has to relocate him. We've all been through a major relocation over the last few years. God's had to shift our location. He's had to take us out of our current world and circumstances and shift our view of what God sees, not what we're surrounded by. Because if we get stuck in our own circumstances and our own situation, we will fall into fear like Abram. And so God said, the only way I can fix this fear factor and the only way I can break through is I've got to move you. 
So God moves him. He says, come with me. He took him outside, outside of his circumstances, outside of the little world that he was trapped in because of all the things. It was after these things, God said, we got to fix these things. And so he comes in and then he says to this, watch, come outside with me. And then he gives him instruction. He says, look toward heaven. He shifts his focus. The very first song we sang talked about looking up. You know, we got the heads down generation. You ever been on a train or an airplane or in an airport or a mall or Starbucks? Everybody's got their head down because we got these screens. Everybody's walking around with their head down. It's dangerous to even walk on a sidewalk these days. I was just, you know, coming through airports to get here and everything. And you're in an airport now and people are just walking around with their head down. Just like, you're always like, incoming, human, human coming. Look out. It's like, heads up. I want to go, heads up. And God's saying, hey, heads up, church. Look toward heaven. And then he does this little... This is one of these little sarcastic moments. You know, God has a little bit of a sense of humor. God has a little sarcasm in there. He says, hey, Abraham, Mr. Chaldean star worshiper. You know, the Chaldeans worship the stars. He was a Chaldean. They worship the stars every night. So he takes them outside. He says, look toward heaven. See all those stars? I think I could count them. <laughs> well, no. Well, what do you do every night when you come up here and stare at the stars and worship them? He goes, I made them all. I've got a name for them all. He kind of gives them a little dig like, (laughs) you think that's your God? He goes, I made them all. I'm the God that made those stars. Look toward heaven. See if you can number the stars because that's still how many kids you're going to have. Like the dust of the ground and like the stars of the sky, you're still going to have that many. It will happen. It's still plan A. And then he looks down and he goes, now you only need one thing, son. You need one thing to make this all happen. That's the moment when God gave him faith. He gave him the one thing he needed. Faith. That's why Abram became the father of our faith. Because God gave it to him. How many know faith is a gift? That's it. Still Ephesians was still in God then too. <laughs> You're saved by grace through faith. It's the, 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 con, the conduit is through faith. It is the gift of God. Faith is a gift from God. He didn't have it. That's why he was in fear. God says, there's one thing you need, and I'm coming to give it to you. And so he tore down his false God, said, I'm the real God, and now you'll know because I'm going to give you the only thing that I can give you, faith. And that's the moment, the turning point. Verse 6 is the turning point. It's the pivotal moment where it says, and now he believed. Let's be Pentecostal for one second. Say, amen. He believed. It's like that was the turning point for you and me. We are believers today because he believed then. He believed. And then God did the most outrageous thing. He counts that act of believing, which God gave to him, back unto him as righteousness. Now he's righteous. So are you. You're sitting in a chair in Vancouver, BC, righteous because of what that one guy did. And he did it because God did it for him. This life is amazing. Christianity is amazing. It's the only religion where God does everything for you. Every other religion, you got to do something to get in the club, you know? You got to do something. God says the only way you're in is if you let me do something. That's what we celebrate in two weeks. He did something for us. He put his son on a cross and crucified him and shed his blood for our sins. He did it for us. And that's why this is amazing. Well, let's go back to verse 1 for just a second. It was after these things. What were some of these things for Abram? Well, if you start his story at the end of chapter 11, you know, he's given the command to leave his homeland and leave his father and, and, and go on a journey for God. And he gets going. He's told to leave the, the land of the Ur. And he went halfway. You call that partial obedience. How many know somebody that's had just know somebody that's had maybe some partial obedience in their life. Any parents in the house? Okay, yes, I thought. Um, Yes, partial obedience. We've all had partial obedience, right? And so that caused problems. And then he had character crisis because now he's got to go down to Egypt. He takes his family down down there to escape. He runs into these kings. They're looking at his wife going, who is that lady? (laughs) He goes, um, uh, that would be my sister. And it's a half truth, but he's still a little bit of a lie. And he's got some character crisis going on about who his wife is. Guys, I don't recommend when they say, who is that woman with you? Uh, just fess up. 
that's my childhood sweetheart. <laughs> that's my wife. That's, not my, well, she, that's just my sister. Why did he do that? He was in fear. See, he was driven by fear from the beginning of his calling, which was crazy. And God's watching all this thing. He's setting them up. And he's in fear for, so he doesn't go all the way, and he's in fear for these kings, and he's, he's actually in fear for his own life. And then he has family conflict. He's got pressure from his family. He's got conflict with his nephew, Lot. And then he's got repeated failure. He lies again. He's got time delays. Nothing's happening. No kids yet. And he's ready to throw in the towel. See, Genesis 15, he says, I'm done. I'm coming up with my own plan. I don't have any kids. You said I'm going to have kids. I'm done. Let's go to plan B. God goes, no. No, we're not. After these things, God came to him and brought a breakthrough. That's what he needed because there were so many obstacles and all kinds of resistance going on. I don't know about you. I'm glad in the mind of God, no matter what you're going through or have been through, he's out in front of us as the breaker. He, always, he sees what's coming, and he will break through for us. There's always something after these things. We've been through some things, folks, haven't we? The whole world this time. Now it's a global thing. We all went through some global things, but God is still out in front. It didn't push God back. It didn't confuse God. He is the breaker. See, our problem is when we start going through things, we tend to focus on the thing or what's behind us. God's always looking ahead of us. You need to understand that God doesn't focus on failure like we do. We get consumed with failure. And God's not consumed with our past like we are. And God doesn't give up on us like we do. See, Abram was ready to give up. He was focused on his failures. It was all these things, and he's ready to give up. God says, no, I'm not giving up, so you can't. Abram was about to have a personal breakthrough, a personal breakthrough, because everything at this point in his life looked like it was breaking down, not breaking through. That's the good thing about God, though. God can still give a breakthrough when it looks like things are breaking down. You look at society, we look at our world, we look at it's like there's a, there's a meltdown, there's a breakdown of society and family. Everything's being attacked, but you know what? God is still the breaker. When it looks like everything's breaking down... God says, follow me. I'm out in front. I'll bring the breakthrough. Every believer needs a breakthrough of some kind at some point in their life. And here's the thing. God sets you up for them. You can't get out of it. You ought to smile. (laughs) Say, God, I don't need a breakthrough. Oh, yes, you do. That's number one indication. (laughs) I don't need one. Oh, yes, you really need one. Why? I've come up with my own plan. Oh, you really need one. After these things, yeah, God sets you up for them personally. You need a personal breakthrough. Churches need breakthroughs. Societies, everything. Businesses, we need God to come in and break through when everything's breaking down. Because here's the thing. God can do more in a few seconds. I'm not exaggerating here. In a few seconds than we can do in even months or even years. I was sharing a little bit of my story with Rich and Mimi. We were kind of... You know, when, when older people get together, we rehearse history a lot. Do you remember way back, like you said, we've been spending 30 years. Yeah, I remember when we used to do this. So that's kind of fun, but, and we, we really had fun kind of rehearsing some history. But um, before I uh, went into full-time traveling ministry, um, I'd been in uh, Florida, and I, was, I served, you know, Dr. Blomgren. Then we planted a church out of that church in Tampa. We, we planted down in Fort Myers, Florida. I pastored down there for about seven years. And in that whole stretch of time, I was growing and being mentored in the prophetic, traveling with Dr. Blaugren, Keith Hazel, and that's why I ran into Rich, and we started traveling, and I was pastoring, and the 90s was a blur in our life. In the 90s, we planted a church. We were, started homeschooling our children, and then you know, I was working on my doctorate. We had our fourth child, and I don't remember sleeping, but anyway, we had, the 90s was a blur. It's like, wow. And, you know, but in that time, I'm traveling, and I'm pastoring, and all this, and um, I just began to hit a wall. It was right at the end of the 90s. 1999 was an amazing year for me because I just I hit this wall. And I, started, I was like, Lord, what do I do? I just felt like I'd hit something. And I was like probably burned out or I don't know what I was like on the verge of like something's got to change. And I think my wife said it so succinctly. She said, you know, you need to either pastor the church or travel. You can't keep doing both, Rich. Um, <laughs> Can I have an amen, Mimi? Um, 
No, it's, I mean, and there's a time of duality there. But God's stretching. I remember being, actually, I was in Taiwan one time with Keith, and I was going through this stretching time, and uh, I remember one night I couldn't sleep. I was in a room, Rich, in a hotel in Taiwan, and the bed was round. Have you seen those over in, in Asia? It's like, I said, what is this round bed? Anyway, I saw, and I couldn't sleep, and I'm staring out the window, and I can't read anything on any sign. And I'm going, what am I doing here? So I went over and knocked on Keith. And I was like, Keith, can I talk? He goes, yeah, come on in. We just talk. I said, God. I said, what is God doing? I just feel like I'm hitting a wall. And Keith in his great you know, vernacular, he says, well, brother, God is stretching your tent pegs out to see how far they can go. I was like, I don't like this part. <laughs> but I was. I was going through a major stretching. But I hit the saw. I was like, something's got to break here. I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, what do I need to do to go to the next level? And the way God put it to me at that time, he says, to go to the next level, you've run with the prophets. It's been 17 years of training and running with prophets and learning. He says, to go to the next level, you need to run with the apostles. And I was like, and what's that? <laughs> it's like, this is, 19, this is the 90s. We're still trying to figure out something. I go, well, what apostles? Where are they? Who are they? How do I meet them? How do I run with them? What? I had a lot of questions and Oh my gosh, I was just like, I hit this wall, what do I do now? And I felt like I'm supposed to travel full time, and, but from where and how and with who and what do I do with my church? I had all these questions and I was like, oh God. And months of praying, months. Keith and I met, we talked, I talked with my elders, we're praying, I don't know, should I move here, should I do this? So I get a phone call in March of 1999 and it's a pastor by the name of Jerry Daly who's also an apostle leading a network of churches in North Carolina. He said, can you come up and do a prophetic ministry at our church? I said, well, sure, I'd love to, Jerry. And I'd heard of Jerry. I'd met Jerry a couple times, and I thought, yeah, that'd be great. And so I flew up there and stayed at Jerry's house the first night, and then morning, got up and sat and really got to know Jerry, had breakfast, and uh, Jerry made the mistake of asking me the question, so what's going on in your life? <laughs> you know, Jerry's like, what's going on? And I was like, oh, Jerry, <laughs> everything came out. I'm trying to find apostles. God told me this. I'm supposed to travel. I don't know how to travel. And it just, I just laid it all out. And I got done, it was like, <laughs> like <laughs> inside I'm going, somebody help me. And in seconds, in seconds, Jerry looked at me. I mean seconds, and you can time me now as I say this. Here's what Jerry said. It's an apostle. He looked at me. He said, well, brother, I think you're supposed to move here, base your traveling ministry out of Grace Church. I need a prophet on my apostolic team. I think it's you, and we'll help, you can help us launch our Bible college. How many seconds was that? Seconds. He laid out an architecture, and that's what I've been doing for the last 22 years. 22 years I've been living in that framework that he laid in front of me in seconds after I've been praying for months, even years. That's what God can do. But he brings you to the point where it's like, I'm desperate. <laughs> he brings you to that point of like, God, I need a breakthrough. Because see, God sets you up for him. He loves to do that. And you get to see God as bigger than you've ever seen him before. And your confidence grows and, and your faith grows. And they're important. Breakthroughs are important because, number one, you need them to go to the next level of destiny in your life. You need them. We all need them. Because God has destiny for every one of us. Otherwise, you'd be in heaven right now. So there's still some destiny in your life, right? And so secondly, you need a breakthrough because breakthroughs are personal. Personal. It's not anybody's biography. It's not a website. It's not anything else. It's you and God. This breakthrough for this one guy, one guy named Abram, was personal. It wasn't for Sarah. wasn't for Israel. This was for Abram. I'm always amazed when I read through Scripture, and even more and more when I read through the Gospels and watch Jesus, how he took so much time to be with one person. One person to bring breakthroughs. Jesus showed up as the breaker in so many people's lives in the Gospels. He was, he was just concerned about the one. You need breakthroughs because they're revealing. They reveal something, first of all, about God, that he really is God. <laughs> God had to reveal himself to Abram that I'm the one, you know the stars you worship? Yeah, I made them all. I'm the creator. I'm in charge. They reveal something about you. They kind of reveal how much unbelief you still have <laughs> that God's trying to mine out of you, Right? They reveal your level of faith so that God can come and top you up, as the British say. I'm just going to top it up a little bit, yes. And then here's the thing about breakthroughs. They're reassuring. They reassure you that, number one, maybe I did hear from God. Uh, maybe I'm not as crazy as I thought I was. <laughs> it's like, you know, they reassure what you really believe, and then they reaffirm 
what God wants you to see. They reaffirm, like, yeah, I'm on the right track. I had a prophecy. I was confused. But now I've just had a breakthrough. Aha! That's what that prophecy meant. And we need those. You know what the main thing that breakthroughs do? They change you. See, we want changed things. We want things to change. Right now, if you said, who's got any prayer requests? We took prayer requests. It'd all be, I want these things or these people to change. If these people would change, if he would change, if her, she would change, if that would change, if this would change, if this, that, that, that. We have all these things we want to change, right? The greatest thing about a breakthrough is they change you. That's what God's out to do. Change us from the inside out. Because the biggest battles you face, you see, they're not the battles around you. They're the battles within you. That's where our biggest battles are. We all have to admit that this morning. The biggest battles we have are the ones going on inside of us. So I want to encourage you. I'm going to give you three things to pray for going into this this season. I, I believe you as a church are coming into a fresh season. I don't think it's just convenient that Rich and Mimi just got back from a major trip into the, to Asia. I don't think it's just convenient that we're coming into a, a post, <laughs> hopefully, a post-COVID you know, season in the church. I, I just really sense that there's a fresh season upon the church globally because, because this thing hit us globally and God's doing stuff globally. And so I'm just going to give you three things to pray for. And listen, this is not global prayer. This is not like, for the, we're going to pray for the world or the nation. This is for you. Three things to pray for breakthrough in your life. And the first one is, you pray for a breakthrough in courage. Just think about that for a minute. You need, we all do. We're all sitting here, you're looking so good and so confident. And then inside we're all going, yeah, I got a few things I'm a little fearful of. We all do. And so we pray that God will show up as the breaker and, and, and then we'll break through any barrier of fear And to do that, you need to pray for courage. You pray for it. God, give me a breakthrough in courage. Encourage me in the places where I'm apprehensive or fearful. Now, why would we pray for courage? What does courage do? Helps you avoid fear. That's how you avoid fear. Pray for courage now so you can avoid fear later. Don't wait till you're overcome with fear. Like, oh, God, I'm in fear. Pray now. God, give me courage. Going for, I feel like there's just such this fresh wind on the church that if we keep praying for courage ahead of time, we will break through whatever the world throws at us. We'll break through. I think of Jeremiah. Or no, I think of jo- Joshua. Joshua um, got instructions from God to take God's people over the raging Jordan River uh, at the next phase of reaching the promised land. And here's Joshua ready to go. And God gives him one major instruction in chapter one of Joshua on how he's going to actually do this monumental, almost impossible feat. He says, only be strong and courageous. Joshua, you can do this. In spite of, <coughs> in spite of all, the, all the opposition that lies on the other side of the river, you can do this. In spite of the river itself is opposition. He goes, in spite of it all, you can do it if only you be strong and courageous. So you think Joshua going, yeah, that's it. Yeah, be strong and courageous. I'll be strong and courageous, God. I can do this. Come on, everybody. We're going to go across that Jordan River. We're going to cross the Jordan. Just like Moses took us through the Red Sea, we're going to cross the Jordan. We are ready. Okay, God, ready. Stick, please. Stick. And we're, you know, stick. We'll hit the water and just like Moses. And uh, where's my stick? What do you mean? I don't get a stick. You don't need a stick. Moses had a stick. We hit the water and we go through it. See, I can do this. I got courage. You don't need a stick. You don't get a stick. Don't you hate it when God takes your props away? You just think, if I just had this one prop, I could do this. And God goes, no, you don't need a prop. You don't need a stick. You only need courage. Faith. Yeah, come on. Just have faith in me. Have faith in what I said. It's like, ah, I'd like my prop back. It's like, no, that's all you need. No stick, just me. We got to kind of just get through this with God. That's what he wants. So you pray, God, I want courage. And David learned how to encourage himself in the Lord. You encourage yourself. What does that mean? Put courage in. And it comes from the word, right? Oh, some of the Psalms are so rich right now because David just explains his own paradox, his own fear and failure. And then I love the way David transitions psalm after psalm. It's like he takes us down to the valley. He goes, yet will I trust in the Lord. Yet thou, why are you cast down? And David just pulls himself back out by declaring who God is. 
Second thing you pray for is a breakthrough in commitment. Let me explain that because some people hear that and go, yeah, here we go. Here's the preacher is going to start pushing on us all these commitments, be, be an early morning prayer and be an evangelism. You got to show up to this class and you show up to this service and make sure you do this and make sure you tithe. And here comes all this commitment, commit, commit, commit. It's not that at all. It's not about commitment to things, stuff, activity. There's plenty of that to go around, I know. But you see, it's a commitment, listen carefully, to the process God has you in. Stay committed to what process God currently has you in right now. This is the time, see, we all want to jump ship. We want to just, we want to do an Abraham. I'm going to plan B. No, stay committed to what I said, says the Lord. Stay committed to my plan. Stay committed to the process. We talked about process all weekend. The prophetic involves a process. If you want to see a prophecy come to pass in your life, stay in process. Because it's a process of development where God is building Christ in you. That's the goal. And so we have to stay committed by praying for a breakthrough in commitment. You know what that avoids? Failure. A breakthrough in commitment will help you avoid failure. Like Abram, he was feeling like failure. He goes, that's it. I'm done. Thrown in the towel. I'll come up with my own plan. He was on the brink of breaking his commitment. But here's the thing about God. God never breaks his commitment to you. Never. Never has, never will. Even when we're ready to throw in the towel, we're in fear, unbelief. God says, I'm not. I'm good. I'll carry you. I'll be your shield. I'll stay committed. Why? God started the whole commitment thing anyway. Where does commitment start? It starts with God. He commits to you first. Before you ever showed up on planet Earth, He was already committed to you. Well, that's a big theological statement, but it's true. You were in His heart before you ever showed up on the planet. God was committed to you from eternity. It's all about advancing the kingdom. Five stones, you are called to advance the kingdom of God. Right here in Vancouver and to the nations. You have an amazing calling on your life. And I just feel like you're just getting started. hope that doesn't discourage you, Rich. But I mean, you're coming into a new fresh phase where you're going to break through to some new territories. You're going to break through into some new things. And it's all about kingdom advance, but kingdom advance starts in the heart. It doesn't start with an airplane ticket. It starts in the heart because the kingdom of God is within a man. And so advancing the kingdom is a movement of the heart toward that which God desires. It's a movement of the heart to that which, which delights in doing the will of God. We find the will of God and we delight in doing it. That's advancing the kingdom. And commitment says, I know how to keep going. You know why? Because the enemy will say, you'll never make it. The enemy will do all he can to stop you and get you to quit. But commitment says, nope. I know how to keep going. I know how to keep going. How did David know to keep going? David got an amazing prophetic word, right? You're going to be the next king of Israel. You're a young boy. Great, great, great prophecy, right? And then, you know, God put him in this crazy discipleship program. Spear throwing, cave dwelling, you know, slander, all kinds of attack. I mean, that was his discipleship training, right? I'm sure there was many times he's sitting in the cave with the guys going, anybody got anything to eat? It's like, we're in this cave. It's like, I'm done. I quit. This is crazy. What am I doing? I'm sure many times those thoughts came in. And yet David said, no, I'm committed to what God said. Commitment keeps you from quitting. <laughs> keeps you from failure. It's what you draw on when you feel like giving up. And every one of us feel like giving up. Do you know in America, 38% of pastors seriously considered quitting the ministry over the last couple of years? And that was up from the 30% that you quoted at our conference. Yeah. Because, see, the enemy wants us to quit. Stop advancing the kingdom. Internal commitment says, nope, I know what keeps me going. It's not that out there. It's what's in here. Which leads us to the third thing you pray for. We pray for a breakthrough in courage. We pray for a breakthrough in commitment. And then we pray for a breakthrough in heart. Oh, that's, we're going deep now. This is a deep dive right in here. I'm not talking about your chest talking about your heart, that inner man where the center of life is, where Solomon said, keep your heart with all diligence because out of it are all the issues of life. We need breakthroughs in our hearts, folks, because the heart is amazingly complex. It's always something in your heart that keeps you going. 
if it's not in your heart, it ain't going to happen. Because a breakthrough in heart will answer the question, why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I doing this? I don't know how many times you might have asked yourself for the last couple of years, why, why do I go to work every day? Why, why, do, why haven't I been working from home? Whatever questions give me, yeah, why do we... Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? Why? We've had to reshuffle so many things. Like I guess God had to relocate us. God totally relocated the church <laughs> out of buildings and back into his presence. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Not that we weren't. It's kind of like we were so like, and now we say, we like both, God. We like, your, your, we like buildings and we like your presence. <laughs> we can do it online. We can, I mean, God just <clears throat> expanded our platform of delivery for the gospel. That was it all about. That's really all it was about. Why did we go through all that? Because God said, I had to rearrange the furniture. It's my house. I'll do what I want. <laughs> We're going to move this here, move this here. We're going to move you online. We're going to move you offline. God just rearranged the furniture all over the world and said, okay, now, go. We're in a fresh season of go. Advance the kingdom. And so we need breakthroughs in heart. Why? Heart is where your motives lie. Why am I doing this? See, it's a heart check. You check your motives. When Solomon was asked, I think, probably one of the most amazing questions that a human ever gets in 1 Kings 3, God visited Solomon and says, ask of me whatever you will and I'll give it to you. And you're sitting there going, there's a catch, isn't there, God? He goes, oh, yes. Yeah, there's a catch to that one. <laughs> Everybody comes up and says, hey, how much money do you need? Whatever you ask, whatever you need, I'll give it to you. Oh, it's the catch here. There was a catch. So Solomon wisely prayed and thought, and he says, okay, God, here's, here's what I want. I want an understanding heart. Give me an understanding heart so I can rule between these people what's good and evil, so I can know. And you know, God answered that prayer because that's what God was looking for. God was looking for pure motive. Pure motive. That's what God's looking for right now. What are our motives? What's motivating us? When Solomon had the ear of God, he was like, oh, I'd love God to do that with me. Really? It was a test. When Solomon finally had the ear of God, he was more interested in what would make him better for the people than more comfortable himself. I don't know about you. I've prayed a lot of comforting prayers for myself in the last few years. <laughs> we're, we're good at that. That just comes out natural. I need, I want, I'm going you know, to make this happen, make that go away. I mean, we're good at that. But Solomon, God, I want to be better for the people. That needs to be our motivation. God, make us better. Make us more Christ-like. Make us more accessible. Make us more loving. What's going to make us better for those that do not know the wonderful message that has saved our lives, right? Give me an understanding heart. It portrays pure motives. And we all have them. Why? You can't trust your heart. Can I just tell you that? Don't trust your heart. I mistakenly, in my early years of ministry and even pastoring and giving counsel, would hear this phrase that I kind of adopted, not really studying it out. I just said, it sounded good when people needed direction and what should I do and I'm, I'm confused and I don't know what to do. And these phrases started coming, they sounded good and I would actually say things like, well, you know, just follow your heart. Oops, <laughs> that's bad advice. The world gives that advice because they don't know any better, but we got this book and the book's pretty clear. <laughs> you can't trust your heart. The heart is desperately wicked. Jesus said, where do murderers and envyings, where do they come from? Don't they come from the heart? And all of a sudden you go, ooh, the heart's bad. Don't follow your heart. Your heart was never designed to lead you. You were designed to be led by the Spirit of God. We're to be led by the Spirit. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm, or the Proverbs, and Solomon said in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, which we all know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You don't trust in your heart. You don't trust heart decisions. You trust in the Lord with your heart. See, the heart needs to be directed. It's a follower, not a leader. It was designed to follow. It treasures things. It wants things. It desires. And so you have to direct your heart. That's why Paul prayed for the Thessalonians at the end of his first epistle. He said, may the Lord direct your heart to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Paul prayed that for Christians. We need that prayer. Come on, parents. Help me out here. When all is said and done... God, direct their heart, because I've been trying. <laughs> I'm kind of 50-50, okay? I'm batting so-so, but may the Lord direct your heart to the steadfastness of Christ. The heart needs to be directed. The psalmist, Psalm 119, one of the greatest psalms, he says, 
incline my heart. Another word for incline my heart to your word and not to selfish gain. You know, you never have to pray for selfish gain. <laughs> we are selfish by nature. Your heart is selfish by nature. You wake in the morning, your heart's going, coffee, shower, feed me, clothe me, warm me, cool me, help me. I mean, you never have to pray. <laughs> it's just like selfish demand. We live in it. And we wake up and we have to say, God, right now, before I get out of bed, incline my heart to my devotional time in your word because right now I want to do all A, B, C, D, Facebook. and Incline my heart. See, you have to pray seriously that way. You have to pray for your heart. You need breakthroughs in your heart. It'll keep you from impure motives. Blessed are the pure in heart. Not perfect, just pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. You'll see God. So in closing, I want to give you one more admonition, something to think about. And then I'm going to pray for you in those three areas. We all need prayer in that area. I do. So remember this. In this moment of history that we get to tiptoe into and tiptoe out real quick, you may feel like this is never going to end. It's a breath and a vapor. But in this moment, you need to know in the scheme of God, there is an ordained outcome. There is an ordained outcome in the mind of God. It's done. Isaiah 46.10, one of the most amazing verses in all the Bible, where Isaiah says about God, he says, he who knows the end from the beginning. Do you know God is not trying to figure out what the end looks like? It's done. There's an ordained outcome. Our battle, you see, is agreeing with his outcome. There's things that come out in our life. There's outcomes we didn't pray for, we didn't ask for, we, we actually pray against, yet nevertheless, they happen. And our battle is, am I going to agree with the outcome I was, helped, I was dealt? How do I agree with a God that I don't even really know? I think I know him, and then he does something like this. Our battle is agreeing with God's outcomes in life. And you need internal breakthroughs to keep your focus on God and his promises. Your final outcome is what he promised you in the book, not on your circumstances. Here's the good news, though. There's always something after these things. I don't know what kind of things you've been through in the last weeks, months, years, but I've got good news. In the mind of God, there's something coming after these things, and that's our joy to press in for that. That's what we pray for. So let me pray for you. Stand with me. Just stand. And I'm going to pray for you in these areas. And, I, I, and don't stop. Just don't say, well, that was a good message. That, that prayer's done. Uh, next week we get new prayers to pray. I, I hope this starts ruminating in you. I hope you, when, when things come at you, when discouragement, when, all the, when the battles, when these things prop up in your life, I want you to begin to think, you know, I need to pray. For, I need a breakthrough in courage right now. I need a breakthrough in commitment. I got to stay committed. I need a breakthrough in my heart because my heart wants to do all these crazy things. <laughs> God, I need a breakthrough in heart. So I'm going to pray that over you right now because every one of you I know has things. We've got family things. We've got work things. We've got societal things. We've got all kinds of things in our life like Abram did. But God is the breaker. Now look to him. Close your eyes, but do what God instructed our father Abraham. Look toward heaven right now. Come on, church. Look toward heaven. Lift up your eyes. Look toward heaven. There's a great harvest coming. Maybe you can see the stars of Abraham tonight. Maybe, I dare you, even, yeah, tonight, just, I don't know. I know the weather's not always that great in Vancouver, but anyway, find a starry, starry night and go out and just look toward heaven like Abraham. Go, oh, yeah, God, that's a good reminder that there's a great harvest coming to the earth. I believe during COVID, what God was up to behind closed doors was he was ripening the harvest. It's getting riper and riper. And we look toward heaven today as a church. We look toward heaven and start counting the souls yet to come into the kingdom. And you're going to be a part of that. You'll be part of the harvest. And so, God, we come before you. And when it looks like, oh, my gosh, we, we can't do it. It's impossible. Let's go to plan B. God says, nope, plan A. The harvest of the earth is ripening, and you're going to help reap it. So, Father, we pray for breakthrough and courage. Everybody right here this morning that needs a breakthrough and courage, where there's fear, we replace it with faith. Come and break through, breaker. Break through the fear in their life. Replace it with faith. We pray for breakthroughs and commitment. Whatever you're in right now, stay in it. Don't run. Don't hide. Stay in the process that God has you, and ask him. Say, God, what is it you're doing in me 
right now. I'm committed to you. And you pray for a breakthrough in heart every day. God, incline my heart to your word. God, direct my heart toward the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Oh God, here's my heart. Take it in the right direction. Help me be led by the Spirit, not led by my heart. I want to be led by the Spirit of the living God who will lead me and guide me into all truth. Pray these over and over, these simple prayers, and God will show up. I guarantee it. He will show up as the breaker in your life, and you will have a breakthrough. Just wait on Him for a minute. Reflect. Respond. Ben, why don't you come up? We were kind of wondering, is Ben still here? Ben, yeah, just come up and just... uh, just to set an atmosphere for a minute to just respond to God. Work through those three things. God, I, I need courage. God, I, I feel some of you already saying, God, I need courage. Give me, I need courage for this. I'm facing this this week. God, help me stay committed. I was thinking about backing out of something. I stay committed, stay committed, stay committed. God, give me breakthroughs and commitment. God, my heart is troubled this morning. You might hear, be here this morning and say, my heart is troubled. Jesus has a remedy for that in John 14. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Isn't that a great remedy? When your heart is troubled, there's one antidote, faith in God. Believe in God. How do I do that? Ask me. (laughs) How did Abraham do it? God gave him faith. He goes, I'll be your shield. I am your shield. God is your shield today, church. Whatever you're facing, God is your shield. He is your refuge. Such a fantastic word of encouragement to us. And you just feel, at least I felt, just the government of God on Clem and bringing that to bear on a local church and being a servant of the Lord to just speak into the life of the church in a timely, rhema way. So we thank you, Clem. And, and please remember Clem in his ministry in terms of offerings. Uh, He makes his living full-time by traveling. We want to support all the expenses that it took to bring him here and also give him a generous offering as he goes out. So, Jesus, we are deeply grateful for the word of the Lord. We're grateful, God, for the ministry of the word. We're grateful, God, that the Holy Spirit knows every heart. You know every need. You speak to us. It might have been a phrase. It might have been a turn of a phrase. It might have been a bullet point. It might have been the title. Whatever it is, God, we take that away today as our manna is our nourishment, is our encouragement. We thank you that after all these things, God, you're the one that is sovereign, you're the one that's in control, and you're raising us up, God, to be a glory unto your name. So let your peace be upon us. We thank you for your presence. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.